Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Really glad you're with us today. Wish we had good martinis for you, but we have three bad martinis. You could classify at least the last one as crazy, but it's, I think, also uh, appropriately labeled as bad. Our first one is definitely a bad martini given the subject material, but the fact that there's actually a reckoning here on some level is uh, a silver lining to this martini because the press conference is literally still going on right now, as I can see from the TV in the adjoining studio here, Jim. Uh, New York's Democratic Attorney General, Tish James, um, a number of months ago launched the inquiry into the allegations of sexual harassment against Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo by, was it nine women now, I think we're up to? Uh, there was initially a groundswell, including some of the uh, state legislative leaders saying it was time for Cuomo to resign or or be removed. But ultimately, uh, his loyalists said, well, let's let the process play out. Well, at this point, the process has played out to a report from the attorney general's office, and it's pretty scathing against Andrew Cuomo. Here's Tish James, clip number one, uh, discussing the conclusions of her report. The independent investigation has concluded that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women and in doing so violated federal and state law. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment. And there's more. The independence investigation found that Governor Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, many of whom were young women, by engaging in unwanted groping, kisses, hugging, and by making inappropriate comments. Further, the governor and his senior team took actions to retaliate against at least one former employee for coming forward with her story, her truth. Governor Cuomo's administration fostered a toxic workplace that enabled harassment and created a hostile work environment where staffers did not feel comfortable coming forward with complaints about sexual harassment due to a climate of fear and given the power dynamics. The investigators found that Governor Cuomo's actions and those of the executive chamber violated multiple state and federal laws, as well as the executive chamber's own written policies. This investigation has revealed conduct that corrodes the very fabric and character of our state government and shines light on injustice that can be present. Well, no uh, papering over there, Jim. Uh, this is uh, certainly a scathing report from top to bottom. We'll see what the lawmakers uh, do with this. I think we know what we're going to hear from Governor Cuomo, who is uh, guaranteed to respond to this. In recent weeks, he was already complaining that uh, a lot of the people on this investigative team had worked on cases that uh, prosecuted former political or maybe even current political allies of his. So he's going to say it's a uh, political hit job, I'm sure. But uh, what do you make of her announcement and what do you think the consequences are going to be? 
Greg, I almost expect a, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> uh, sing-songy, up-and-down, you know, highly emotive press conference. Now, th- this is as devastating as it gets. And there's really no good reason for Andrew Cuomo to remain in the governor's office. He should be cleaning out his desk. He should be resigning in disgrace right now. He's not going to do that. So we need to, you know, if, if you're a New York state legislator of any party, you need to get impeachment going now. There, there's really no, uh, it wasn't just the, you know, widespread and persistent pattern of sexual harassment. Notice the lines you said there, multiple violations of state and federal laws. Um, this is, this is enormous amounts of egg on the face of everyone who was celebrating and defending him. Maybe you could make an argument for, oh, we didn't know about this, this pattern of abuse or something like that. But it does, it, it, this is also kind of a, um, maybe I won't use the word indictment because it has a specific legal meaning, but it does not reflect well on all of the people who've worked around Andrew Cuomo all of these years. It kind of sounds like this was not hidden behavior. It sounds like this was not, um, you know, something that was, you know, very hard to see. Sounds like it was right there out in the open in front of lots of people and everybody around him knew it. And he was simply too powerful. Uh, The answer to this one cannot be, well, he's a powerful Democrat. So what are you going to do? It will be a, uh, you know, it, it is now a testing. And it's not a testing of conservatives. It's not a testing of Republicans. We've been telling home for this guy to go since the first reports of him putting sick patients back into nursing homes. The real question is, what does the Democratic Party of New York State, and really nationally, I fully, like, where are you, President Biden? I realize the press conference is still going on. He's got some time. But at some point, this is when Joe Biden should come out and say, no, this is unacceptable. This is when Kamala Harris should be coming out and saying this. Nancy Pelosi. Andrew Cuomo, like this is not a time to be sitting on your hands or, oh, I didn't get a chance to see it or, or anything like that. I don't know what's going to shake out from this, but um, there's been this cynical interpretation amongst a lot of us that in the end, Democrats, you know, circle the wagons, they defend the indefensible uh, that happened once with or, you know, it happened with Al Franken. A lot of Democrats were like, oh, no, we made this terrible mistake. Uh, we can't do that. Uh, look, when the state attorney general comes out and says multiple violations of, of you know, state and federal law, it's not just that he should resign. Another interesting question should be, should there be somebody pressing criminal charges against him? Oh, that's the question. Uh, well, perhaps for Tish really, James. It's again, the person who's in charge of enforcing state laws is now alleging multiple violations of the law. I'm curious about what else you would you would really need to say. Yes, she said uh, federal and state law. So uh, we'll see if there are charges there. But the bottom line is, Jim, he's probably still the front runner. Uh, he's running for re-election. We know there are people who have made noise about running against him. It might look a little odd for Tish James, who I think wants that job, uh, to start running against him now. I would think it would, might give credence to his allegation, which I assume is coming, that it's a political hit job, even though it's all Democrats involved in this. But uh, whether it's Preet Bharara or, or another Democrat uh, that's potentially running against him, I mean, this guy's got a, had a stranglehold on the uh, on the party and on the uh, on the levers of power in the state. And we'll see where it goes from here. I think this should be enough to deny him a fourth term, but you just don't know. He's uh, survived so well before, and there's still people who were trying to tap dance and waiting for the process to play out because they didn't want their political career to end up in the East River, so to speak. So um, I, I want to say that this is it for him politically. I just don't. I just don't know that I believe that yet. Yeah, I, you know, this is a good time for everybody involved in both law enforcement, New York State politics, and everything else to 
prove us wrong, prove us cynics wrong and show us that yes, we can count on the system to work and to hold powerful men accountable. So far, not looking great. Well, we'll see. There's a lot less political cover now as a result of this report from a Democrat. So uh, Democrats in New York, you have uh, you have a choice to make here and fairly quickly. If they don't make it in the next few days uh, or at least get the process rolling in the next few days, uh, he's going to skate. That's 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 what I believe. But uh, the evidence is there, clearly. All right. Well, away from the East River and onto uh, rivers with much better water, you can find excellent seafood, whether it's in the Pacific Northwest or uh, someplace else. And there's no better place to order your seafood than the Wild Alaskan Company. Look, fish is great for you. You need to be eating more of it. I need to be eating more of it. That's how you get your omega-3s and your protein. But the seafood counter can be intimidating, confusing. You don't know how long it's been there, which fish is best for you. Wild Alaskan Company takes the guesswork out of buying wild-caught seafood. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. You can choose from salmon, whitefish, or a combination, and every month there are different specials to explore. Each shipment contains premium, wild-caught, individually-wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be. Always wild, never farmed or modified, and it contains no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership anytime, and they offer 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Get your nutrition from nature with Wild Alaskan Company. We love Wild Alaskan Company at the Corumbus House. We love salmon. We have a uh, shellfish allergy in the house, so our options were a little more limited than yours might be. But the salmon is fantastic. Mrs. Corumbus has a great way and a, a variety of ways of preparing it. Delicious every time. Definitely fresh, definitely high quality. You can't go wrong with Wild Alaskan. And right now you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash martini. That's wildalaskan, A-L-A-S-K-A-N, company.com slash martini for $15 off your first box. Wildalaskancompany.com slash martini. Make sure you use our URL to let them know that we're the ones that sent you. All right, Jim, back to uh, the pandemic here for our next bad martini. And uh, you say the silver lining here is that China's uh, finally admitting that, um, you know, that they're not immune to all the variants because uh, we're starting to see some pretty drastic actions being taken here. NBC reporting that China suspended flights and trains, canceled professional basketball league games and announced mass coronavirus testing in Wuhan on Tuesday as widening outbreaks of the Delta variant reached the city where the disease was first detected in late 2019. While the total number of cases is still in the hundreds, they are far more widespread than anything China has dealt with since the initial outbreak that devastated Wuhan in early 2020 and over time spread to the rest of the country and the world. So, uh, Jim, is this uh, a rare act of transparency on the part of the Chinese, or is it just so obvious what they're doing to try to mitigate this that they can't hide it anymore? I think it's more the latter. Look, at some point, a problem gets so bad that you cannot maintain the facade that everything is fine, you've completely beaten the virus, and you have been entirely untouched by all the variants that have caused so much death and suffering all around the world. A little bit of background here. We all know that the virus began in Wuhan at a lab 
And uh, we do know that the, you know, that the, the reason this turned into more than just a, oh, there's a bad flu going around in some place, was the sheer scale of the problem in the city of Wuhan. You probably remember the coverage as January accelerated and turned into February, the number of deaths started. Right? People, oh, my goodness, this isn't just a bad cold going around. This isn't just a bad influenza. This is something that could kill people. And um, there was always, from the very beginning, there was a question of whether Chinese hospitals and Chinese health authorities were accurately reporting the number of deaths. But for what it's worth, like by uh, towards the end of February, they said that 3,000 people had died. Now, you probably remember at the time reports that they had bought too many, so many urns for incineration, that the incineration, the incinerators uh, or crematoriums were operating um, uh, around the clock. The indication of like, well, actually, maybe there's a lot more people dying than the authorities are willing to admit here. Well, by, you know, the, you know, April, you know, the argument from China is, oh, no, we've, we've beaten the virus. It's, it's gone. The total deaths in the country, not just in China, had peaked around 3,000 people. Now, you remember how quickly we hit 3,000 deaths here in the United States. Then something very, very strange, because it flattened, it insisted they were barely having anybody till on April 16th. It was about uh, 3,342. And then on April 18th, they suddenly announced the death total was 4,632. If you're looking at a line, just picture the, if you're looking at a, a bar graph, just picture the line going straight up. But then the really weird, that amount that it increased by just happened to be exactly 50%. So it's almost as if these numbers were not accurate and they're all being picked and they're being, you know, uh, tailored to offer the message that the state would prefer to have. And they realized that their numbers were just too low. So somebody made the decision, let's keep it, you know, all right, increase it by 50%. It goes back up to that. And since then, it's been a flat straight line. On that day, I said it was 4,632. As of today, the official death toll in China, more than a year later in a country with a billion people where the virus first originated, 4,636. The official word of China is that four people have died of coronavirus, COVID-19, since April 2020. That is not plausible. Even if you want to credit them for all of their draconian uh, moves they've made and welding doors shut to keep people in their apartments and things like that, um, no, it, you know, that simply does not make sense. If you want to, if you want to like, point out, it's right next to you. Know, they, they share a border with India, and look at how bad India actually did not get bad, get hit that badly in 2020, or at least what they were suffering. The amount of suffering and death in that country in 2020 wasn't nearly as bad as what they went through in the earlier parts of this year. Now, here's the news that they're allowing the Associated Press to report is that they're suspending flights and trains, canceling professional basketball league games, announcing mass testing. And they're insisting the number of cases, even with the Delta variant out there, which we all know is much more contagious than the regular one, they're still saying it's only in the hundreds. Look, we don't know exactly what. The only thing I can tell you with absolute certainty is that the official numbers from China are nonsense. Yes. But, Joel, by the way, I think if you're trying to calculate the global impact of that, that's a pretty serious a country with a billion people that's lying about its numbers. You don't have a good one. And I give credit to um, a couple other places like The Economist and other, other uh, you know, researchers who are trying to put together a, a full picture of the global scale of this pandemic. And they simply don't include the numbers of China because they don't trust them. And I, I credit them for not trusting them. But the problem that kind of annoyed me is they didn't lay this out in their reports. They didn't say the reason you don't see any numbers from China is because we don't trust China's numbers. They simply just didn't mention China one way or the other. And that's a pretty important one. Um, it's you know, like on the one hand, the fact that they're doing this 
I mean, it's bad news. It's an indicator that, yes, the Delta variant is in China. And that my guess is that if it represents a threat here, if it represents a threat in all the other countries of the world, it's probably going to represent a China. Remember, the Chinese vaccines, some studies said they worked 50 percent. Some gave a little higher. Some say it was 60, 70, 80. But the universal sense is that they're not nearly as good as the MNRA vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna. But maybe that's OK. Maybe, you know, look, if you have no vaccine, I'm sure the Chinese vaccine seems better than nothing. But we would not be the least bit surprised if the Delta variant came into China and had a major impact. We'll see how things go. But at this point, it just seems like the Chinese explanation is still telling a fraction of the story. And we're left to guess just how bad the Delta variant is in China. Well, it's not surprising that they are getting hit because, remember, the Delta variant is really the Indian variant. We're just not allowed to say that anymore because we might hurt somebody's feelings. Uh, but that's that's where this uh, latest concern is coming from. But, Jim, the thing that uh, stands out to me with when you're talking about the numbers and the straight line up and then the flat line over with how they're reporting numbers, it's amazing how bad authoritarian regimes are at lying. Now, I know why they, they're bad at lying is because they have a compliant media and nobody ever calls them out on it. So they think they're uh, actually getting away with it. But it reminds me of... Uh, Iran, right before the, the, the Green Revolution protests, where Ahmadinejad won each province in Iran by the exact same amount. And so it, just, it was just completely implausible. And yet these people uh, don't get a lot of scrutiny, certainly in their own country, but even on the world stage. I mean, who in this country in the media has actually called out China besides you and a few others? The mainstream media certainly won't let anybody do it, uh, even though their uh, statistics and their responses to various things are patently absurd and unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't mind if you want to cover the American government tough, fine, they should be. Our government is not always honest. People within our government are not always honest. Um, This is a, uh, you know, a responsibility of journalism. The problem is, or at least as I see it, like there is just as much need for tough coverage of authoritarian regimes as anybody else. And in fact, really, if anything, uh, I'd go even further, like, you know, um, because, you know, people are going to be very, you know, oh, look what this uh, senator did. Or, or what we discussed in that first martini about uh, Governor Cuomo. Like, yeah, that's absolutely worthy of coverage. Um, when a Republican governor finds himself in a big scandal, that's worthy of coverage. When an authoritarian regime, you know, does something terrible, that should be called out. Yes, I realize the world is full of terrible events and terrible atrocities. And you can't always put full spotlight, as much spotlight as deserved on all of them. But I really, you know, and it's not like you could say, well, it's not like North Korea gets good coverage here in the United States. Uh, but nonetheless, I feel like it doesn't get the depth and the the intensity of the coverage that you would get with, like, you know, say, microaggressions, you know, or, or misusing the wrong pronoun or something like that. Um, and just an example, the other factor is how much American wealth over the last 20 to 30 years has been built on relationships with China. Mm-hmm. It is the case for big corporations like Disney, which owns a, a, uh, ABC. It is the same for uh, almost every major U.S. corporation is dependent upon access to the Chinese market. And it's very difficult to believe that it doesn't have any influence on how these institutions treat the Chinese government. We have some very clear examples like Bloomberg, uh, where it's been quite explicit with this. So it's one of those things where what we know about the world is now compromised by these business relationships. I like to see a lot more honest discussion of this in this country, but uh, sounds like I'll still be waiting for a while, Greg. Uh, and they've got they've got the stranglehold going. Obviously, nobody in their country is going to be able to criticize them for it and get away with it and not be tossed in jail for the rest of their lives. But uh, you know, the Western free press, come on, man, pick up the slack. 
All right. Let's relax a little bit. That's a couple of intense uh, martinis here, and we got one more to go. Uh, let's talk about my pillow and their fantastic products. I love the pillow, favorite pillow I've ever had. Love the sheets, best sheets we've got right now, certainly, and also the towel set, a luxurious towel that's waiting for you when you step out of the shower. They're big, they're fluffy, they're soft, they get you dry super quickly. And as we've been saying now for quite a while, don't miss this opportunity. The six-piece towel set is on a massive discount, but only for a limited time. Now, each set is two bath towels, two hand towels, and a washcloth two-pack. They are made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent. They're soft to the touch without that lotiony feel. And they're made with cotton grown right here in the United States. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So visit MyPillow.com, use the promo code MARTINI at checkout, or call 800-874-0104. It's the MyPillow six-piece towel set for only $39.99. Now, while you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all the MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets and the MyPillow premium pillows. Go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. All right, Jim, let's move to our final martini now. Part bad, part crazy, but we'll officially label it as bad. We know that we're in the midst, clearly, of the vaccine wars uh, here in the United States. Uh, we're also in the latest incarnation of the mask wars. But we also have some interesting uh, new information from Michael Olsterholm, who is a COVID advisor to President Biden. He's actually been saying this for a while now, but it's gotten now on uh, CNN, so maybe the left will actually... Admit this, Jim. Uh, masks do work if it's N95. If it's a cloth mask, he tells John King, you know, they really don't do that much. Uh, you know, I wish we could get rid of the term masking because, in fact, it implies anything you put in front of your face works. And uh, if I could just add a nuance to that, which hopefully doesn't add more confusion, is we know today that many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective in reducing any of the virus movement in or out, either you're breathing out or you're breathing in. And in fact, if you're in the upper Midwest right now, anybody who's wearing their face cloth covering can tell you they can smell all the smoke that we're still getting. All over the map. First Fauci, of course, in the early days of the pandemic, says masks don't do you any good. Then everybody's got a mask up. But don't take the N95s because we got to save those for the medical community. So wear the cloth mask. Everybody's got to wear the cloth. Now we find out, Jim, that the cloth mask does almost nothing. Yes, we wanted the medical community to get the N95s. But uh, stop blowing smoke at us. You keep lying. People are going to stop believing you. This is one of their big, big problems. At heart, this does seem to make common sense. Sure. That, you know, if you've uh, if you've got an N95 mask, or if you've ever if you walk by a construction site and guys are either you know got from, you know taking out asbestos or they're working with something that's going to generate a lot of dust or or something that's really going to be tough. Yes, usually they're wearing the N95. Like they're wearing the good you know fancy you know I'd say fancy but you know, industrial style masks. Uh, occasionally you'll see them with bandanas and stuff like that, but generally you know the cloth masks are something that you you, you always bought on Etsy. You're not getting them from a medical supply company or something like that, right? So the cloth masks, you know, they're going to give you some protection, not as much protection as stuff that's specifically designed to keep out very fine particulates. It's better than nothing. It's probably going to be okay for most circumstances, at least for much of this pandemic. Maybe with a Delta variant being much more contagious, maybe a cloth mask isn't going to do nearly as much good as you thought it is. And yet here we are again. I mean, the entire time, every masking requirement has always been, you know what? You got to have a mask, and there you know, maybe some places aren't going to like those. Um, the gaiters, I guess you know, they're kind of the ones that come up from your neck. They don't like those for some reason. 
Um, it's going to complicate things, but on the other hand, I kind of salute this guy for his honesty. He is somebody who basically thought we should like shut down for the entire winter last winter. So I'm not saying this is a full spectrum endorsement of it. It does seem, though, that if you're going to implement uh, mask mandates like in Washington, D.C. with Muriel Bowser when she's not attending weddings, um, <laughs> or apparently, uh, uh, I'm saying it's a couple other Los Angeles counties, St. Louis. Yeah, it, it does indicate that masking is probably, you know, if not total public health safety theater, then it's much less effective. And the true answer to this is to get the unvaccinated vaccinated. And we'd be better off, you know, focusing our energies in that instead of launching another another, you know, a couple months of the mask wars. Well, no, that's exactly right. But if you look around when you go out, the vast majority of people have the cloth masks. You would think this would be a bigger yeah. story, not some footnote uh, in an interview midday on CNN that uh, very few other people are picking up on. No, I agree. And my suspicion is that they're, they're not seeing enormous amount of discussion about this, uh, Greg, because, it, you know, it, it'd be inconvenient. It'd be scary. <laughs> well, then they'd have to admit that everything they said over the last year and a half was really not entirely accurate and kind of gave a misleading picture. And, uh, yeah, or ultimately, like if they'd said, Okay, yeah, it worked fine or well enough against, you know, basic COVID-19. Do we know that, though? But it's not as effective against the Delta variant. Like, you know, at least you go, okay, well, that's what's changed. But apparently we can't handle nuance in this country. So now it's going to be mask up, even if it's not going to do any good. It's amazing. Do we even know that it was that effective against the original version? I mean, when you think about the the weaving of the fabric and the threads and stuff, I mean, these germs are so microscopic. That's probably why they're not doing any good now. I'm not sure that they did that much better then. But uh, oh, yeah, I mean, also, it's like how much viral load needs to get into you to cause an infection. And, and you know, there are a bunch of different factors there. But uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah, masks were never as ineffective as the critics said and never as effective as the biggest and loudest advocates said. Yes. The only thing consistent about some of these people is their inconsistency. But, uh, Jim, <laughs> that's why we laugh. That's why we laugh. Anyway, uh, we're still having a better day than Andrew Cuomo. We'll probably be talking ah. about him uh, as, as the week goes on. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. If you don't already, tell your friends about us as well. We love and are very grateful for your five-star reviews and your kind, or five-star ratings. We're very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Those are hugely helpful to us. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit DanaRadio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.